Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Jesus says, I'm in the Father, right? Father God. And he's saying, you're in me and I'm in you. He's saying we're doubly protected. Isn't that terrific? We're doubly protected. You know, I'm in Christ, Christ in you, and we're all in the Father God. I mean, that is amazing protection. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you've got on these three pieces of armor, but said in addition to this, if you're really gonna stand and walk in the 21st century, you've gotta have three other things. The truth is the wisest Christian knows their vulnerabilities. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins this message, Know Your Weakness, and shows you that no matter how strong you think your faith is, you must take up the armor of God every day to stand against Satan's attacks. Don't go anywhere, that's coming right up. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Know Your Weakness, Why are you in church today? Good question. Why am I here? Good question. What if, and I don't think there's an if, that God wrote your name and my name, Homer Edwin Young, you will be in church on that day, and I have a divine appointment with him, and you have a divine appointment with him. But what if I would miss the reason he wanted me to be here today, or you would miss the reason he wanted you to be here today? Wouldn't that be a tragic thing? To have an appointment with the almighty God that we worship and we were there, but we missed it. God has a will for every life, his intentional will and plan for you and me, right? But a lot of people say, boy, I should have done that. I should have gone there. I should have said yes to that and no to that. And we miss out on God's best. All of us have not batted a thousand in our choices we make. And some people go through their whole life lamenting over what could have been, should have been, ought to have been, and that's sad. But we're here today and God has an intentional will for us and then he has a circumstantial will and that's where we are. He had just said, and a lot of people, well, I missed it. No, you didn't. We start right here with this divine appointment and say, Today, in this circumstantial will, I'm going to see how he wants me to walk and live the rest of my life, and then his intentional will for you and me will be carried out. See? So we need to discover how he wants us to walk. How he wants us to walk. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, your word is so clear, so plain. Don't let us get confused or be timid and shy about seeing the beautiful thrust of your truth. Lord, may we listen with open hearts and minds 
as the Holy Spirit takes your word and, Lord, may it just explode within us. We'll leave this place of worship saying one thing. I don't know what happened to me, but I did have an appointment with Almighty God. You speak, let me get out of the way, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's an athlete, six feet, six inches tall, 285 pounds, can bench press a thousand times, a thousand pounds, 50 times. An athlete can run the 40 in 4.2. Now, ladies, that is swift. <laughs> Very intelligent, well-muscled. He has everything, strength, skill, intelligence, powerful, aggressive, teachable. He's got everything. NFL team signs him up to play any position he wants to play. He's so good, J.J. Watt would sit on the bench if he took his position. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to play with him. Oh, yeah, he's something, this guy. But he goes out to the first game. He tells the coach, I play only in jogging shorts, barefooted jogging shorts. That's all I wear when I play. Coach says, man, I know you've got a no, 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 no. That's the way I play. Just jockey shorts. Okay. He goes out in the first kickoff. Man, these guys, he's superior to everybody, but without the cleats on and the thigh pads and hip pads, shoulder pads, helmet on, man, the first play, bam, he is hurt. Now, say something. Those of you who don't know athletics, it's one thing being hurt. It's another thing being injured. If you're hurt, you keep on playing. You're just hurting. It's all right. You stay in the game. If you're injured, you have to come out of the game. Now, he on that first play, he is hurt because all he's got a pair of shorts on. I mean, they hit him with all their pads. He's hurt. All right, he goes back in the game, and then he plays another play or two, and now he's really hit, and now he's injured. So he can't play. He's crippled. He's on the bench. It may be an injury that he can get over. Maybe an injury had to have surgery. It may be an injury that he's put out of the game for life. You don't know, but he's injured. With all the stuff God had given this super athlete in our imagination, where did he make his mistake? He didn't put on the suit. That's exactly what Paul is saying to us who are walking with Christ. He's saying, look, you may be strong, you may be determined, you may think you can handle life, but you have an enemy that is so insidious, that is so behind the scenes, uh, that is so scheming, that is so powerful, the world, the flesh, the devil, the lust of the eye, the lust of flesh, the pride of life. You can't stand up. You're going to be hurt, you're going to be injured, and it's going to take you out of the game. Just like that Humvee, you remember, had light armor and mud flaps, wasn't enough because there were bombs underneath. Had to put on the whole armor underneath the Humvee because our troops were getting crippled or killed. And in life, 
Paul would tell us, like in the Louvre, when all those rats were running around the garden and the animal lover said, don't kill those rats. Leave those rats alone. They have as much right to be here as you do. They've forgotten the rats spread all the diseases you can imagine in so many ways. And so Paul is saying, there's a lot of rats running around. Have you noticed that? A lot of evil forces, a lot of tendencies, and, and they work so many ways in your life and in my life. And we have to put on the full armor of God in order to be able to, what are we to do? Stand firm. Stand firm. To be successful in our winning walk. Now, we've already, if you've been around, put on three pieces of armor. Have you noticed it? We've already put that on. If you missed that, you can still put it on, but you missed it. We put on armor. What's the first thing we put on? The belt of truth. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, teenagers, let me tell you something. If you don't put on truth, the rest of it doesn't make any difference. Is your life built around truth? Can you go to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything about me that's phony, that's hypocritical, that's shallow, anything I need to handle in the past or the present that doesn't speak of objective truth? Try that, and God will just uncover some holes that you may have in your life that deals with your veracity and your honesty and your transparency, your genuineness, your integrity. Truth. Put on truth. Got to have truth. Got to have truth. The next thing we put on, we go and we put on the belt. Then you put on the, the vest of righteousness, and that's something we have in Christ. We studied that in Romans till we were blue in the face. It, it, it's, it, it's who we are in Christ. He makes us right with God and right with ourselves. And right. We have the, the breastplate, the vest of righteousness. Boy, that's big, isn't it? To know who you are, what you're about. Then we're at war, so we got to have shoes of peace. We saw the inconsistency there. How in the world can you have peace and you're at war? It's because the shoes of peace we put on gives us purpose and direction. We're motivated. We, somebody's in a battle. If they have peace, they know the purpose, the reason for fighting. Man, that's essential to victory. Parenthetically, off the record, on the side, do you know why I believe ISIS has been so successful against the Iraqi army. We spent billions of dollars training the Iraqis how to defend themselves, didn't we? Billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. We spent a lot of blood over there preparing that maybe even though they're Islamic, they could have a democracy or a republic and they would be able to determine who their leaders are and what their laws would be. And they voted. Remember they came back, they had the fingers that were colored? They voted. And they trained the army. But when ISIS came along, they ran in fear. And they put down their arms. They surrendered all virtually the armament we'd given them on and on and on again. They laid down and they ran. Why? They, they had the, the armor. They had the stuff. They'd been trained. Why? because they did not understand that freedom 
always carries a price and you always have to be willing to stand up and die for it if necessary. I'm afraid even here in America, we're slowly but surely forgetting that. Now, we have those three pieces, and really that's enough to handle the devil. But I want you to see what else Paul says. Look at verse 16. I, won't even, I know it. He says, in addition to this, we got all we need. But Paul said, in addition to this, if we're going to be successful in the battle against evil in this world, in your life, and in my life, he says, and he adds three more pieces of armor. These are symbols. By the way, remember what this is. We're putting on Jesus Christ, aren't we? We take off ourselves and we put on Christ. This is a symbol of what we have when we put on Christ. And then he says, in addition to this, what is this about? Look at John. I, I love this. John, over here, it tells us something really. John chapter 14, verse 20. Jesus says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Now watch this. Jesus saying that when Jesus says, I'm in the Father, right? Father God. And he's saying, you are in me and I'm in you. He's saying we're doubly protected. Isn't that terrific? We're doubly protected. You know, I'm in Christ, Christ in you, and we're all in the Father God. I mean, that is amazing protection. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you've got on these three pieces of armor, but said in addition to this, if you're really going to stand and walk in the 21st century, you've got to have three other things. The first thing is, he said, you've got to take up the shield of faith. Now, this shield pictured here in the scripture is not one of those little round Frisbee-like shields. You know, you see the little round shield? Uh-uh. This shield is about two and a half feet wide, about four and a half feet long. It's almost like picking up a door. You got it? That's how big that Roman shield was. And the Roman shield was covered in leather. And therefore, the shield is there because the fiery darts from the enemy, the devil, comes and attacks us. How did the Romans use that shield? They would get there and they would line up with their legions. They would take that shield and they would hide behind that shield, and they would have a phalanx there, and they'd lock their shields together, shield after shield after shield. The next row, shield after shield, it would go all the way back, and the flaming arrows would come. Where were those flaming arrows? They would take cotton, put them on an arrow. They'd dip the cotton in pitch. It'd be fire, burning slow. They would slow it, and the arrow would come, and where it would hit, it would splatter, splatter fire. But you see, they were protected behind that shield. Let the flaming arrows of the devil come and attack us because this shield is a shield of what? Faith. Now, we think faith is a weak, weak, weak word. It's, it's just not a strong word. It's a, it's a weak word. It's not a weak word. It's not a flimsy word. It's a strong word. We say, well, reason is strong and faith is weak. And therefore, we talk about natural revelation. Stay with me. That's the created order. And we say, I can look at the natural revelation, the created order, and I can come to believe that there's a God. 
Okay, that's reason. But we look at special revelation, that's the Bible. We say, oh, no, no, I have to accept the Bible by faith. Let me show you something. The best way to understand the difference between reason and faith is we use reason to have a faith and we use faith to have reason. They're not opposites. They are complementary. Best way to see that is you're dating someone, your wife, husband. And when you're dating, it's good to use a little reason. If you fall in love only with your heart, heaven help you. <laughs> only by appearance, time out. So we use reason. We get to know the person. They get to know us, their habits, their understanding. There is a reason that involved. And then on the basis of that reason, we move into a faith. It's like saying, I do and I will. We have a reasonable faith. We come to the altar, I do and I will. We use our head and we use our heart as we fall in love. Our head gives us reason, our heart gives us faith, and they come together. And we have marriage. We have a reasonable faith. And that's important that we understand that. And so this shield of faith is strong. It is a reasoned faith. It is a firm faith. And faith is used in many ways in the Bible as a verb or a noun. It's the object of your faith. Somebody who just squirrels around, I see them all there. Oh, pastor, I'm very spiritual. I have a lot of faith. What in the hoot does that mean? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. It's the object of that faith. And the object of that faith is reasonable. And therefore, we can understand it. We can comprehend it. It takes both to do it. We have a reasonable faith. Have the idea that, you know, that Aristotle or Socrates invented logic. You read that in philosophical, oh, he, he invented logic. That's like saying Galileo invented gravity. No, no, no. Logic was there. Logic, as far as worldview is concerned, is neutral. Is neutral. But we use logic, and logic comes from reason, and it leads us to faith a steadfast, a firm faith that we have. So we put up that shield of faith. We have something. We are protected. The enemy can't get to us. And we say, well, I have a lot of doubt. I have faith. I have doubt. Listen, doubt's a super thing. You have to believe something for there to be a doubt. You have to have faith before you have the ability to doubt. Oh, oh. Doubt your doubts. It'll be stronger, and you'll have a reasonable faith and a faith that is reasonable. Beautiful. It's the way the Bible operates. Uh, let me say it like this. Will you remember it? Uh, there was a hunter out in the rainforest of Africa. And it was a quiet time. Had his gun over his shoulder. He's walking around. Man breathing the clean air. Beautiful colors, sights. All of a sudden, in the, in the almost silence, they heard this screeching noise. <laughs> Why? And all of a sudden, the monkeys started jumping around, making noises. Everybody's moving. He got his gun, said, Something, something's up. And he looked up, and he saw a mother bird was making all this noise. Ah. And he saw that she had, you know, new little birds, baby birds in the nest. And she was flying around. He said, what's she so upset about? And he looked and saw a snake going up the tree where the nest was. He said, uh-oh, 
I know what she's upset about. And then he said he saw the mother bird fly over here and get a leaf and fly back with a leaf and very carefully put that leaf over the nest where the babies were. Just cover the nest with that leaf. And said, then the mother bird just flew off and sat there. Everything got quiet. The snake was still going up the tree. And said, when the snake got up the tree, he said, oh, this is going to be cool. But the snake went back and started to strike. And then suddenly the snake backed up. Didn't harm those baby birds. It just went right down the tree. He said, I was amazed. So I went to the village and asked some of the villagers there. I said, what happened? And they, they laughed at me. They said, don't you know, that leaf was poisonous to that snake. And those baby birds were totally safe underneath that leaf. When the devil sees that shield of faith, ladies and gentlemen, fires all those doubts and fears and temptations. Man, we're behind that shield of faith. I'm telling you, that is our line of defense. So we pick up the shield of faith that handles all the fiery darts that he tries to bring into your life. Temptations and doubts and frustrations and anger. The shield of faith. Feel the faith. Get behind it. The next thing we pick up is the helmet of salvation. We put on that helmet. And that says, this is who we are. The helmet protects the mind, the thinking. It gives us clear thinking. Don't you like people who think clearly? I saw Joe Namath on, on television, a sports talk show. Remember, if you're on TV, unless you're on the news, some news, and unless you have a number on your back, I'll not see you. <laughs> That's just the way I am. I apologize for that. People said, did you sue this? And, no, 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 no. You've got a number on your back, maybe, particularly if you're from Mississippi. <laughs> uh, if you've got a number on your back, you know, I mean, I was watching a little sports show and Joe Namath was on. I'd heard Joe Broadway Joe had all the concussions, and I, I noticed a few years back he was slipping. You know, he, he, he wasn't speaking clearly. His mind was sort of hazy, and I could tell his cognitive ability had greatly declined all those concussions. Then I saw him on this talk show, and, man, he was clear and speaking just candidly and vividly, remembering things. And in the process, they asked him, Joe, what, what's happened to you? And he got in some uh, uh, hyperbiotic thing that feeds like you go in from, from being a diver would go in and, and auction would come. There's a special treatment they gave to his brain. And he told the story. He said the whole right side of his brain, he said, was darkened when they first tested him. But they began a new process of putting oxygen in that brain. He said, now they test me. Both sides of my brain are lighted. There's oxygen. There's blood flow there. And there's been a rekindling uh, of his brain and the stem in there. And you could tell the way he would speak and the way he'd work. This has great hope for stroke victors. It has great hope for those who have a series of concussions. I saw it right there. This is what happens when we put on the helmet of salvation, ladies and gentlemen. All of a sudden, things that were dark are clear. And God reveals to us, and we think clearly, and we operate clearly. The helmet of salvation, we put it on. We put it on. And then what else do we put on? We really don't put it on. We pick it up. We take it out. That is that sword. By the way, in most armies of this day, 
Most people right-handed, they'd put the scabbard and the sword over here, and they'd draw the big sword like that, right? Not the Romans. No, 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 not this kind of armor. The Romans had that big old shield like a door, and they kept, if they were right-handed, the sword here, and they drew the sword right out like this. Bam, and it was right there. It was a short thing, about six or eight inches long. And I've heard all my life people teach on this, well, the sword is the only offensive weapon, the word of God, right? The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That's not true. The sword is an offensive weapon, but all the armor is too. Go up against a Roman, hand-to-hand combat. He's got that shield, bam. I mean, that's offensive. He's got those boots of peace, have like spikes on them. Let me tell you, that's offensive. He has his helmet on. Have you ever been head-butted? Bam, that's offensive. He's got this best prayer to righteousness. Bam, he'll get you. And he's got that sword of the Spirit right there. Bam, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Now, usually in the Bible, the Word of God, you see the word logos in Greece or logos in Greece. It is the whole Word of God. It's all that's available to us. It's like having an arsenal of weapons over here. But the sword is not, the word here is not logos, it's rhema. And it, it is also another word for the word, and that is how it is used. The sword is used in a very personal, direct way. It's how Jesus used the Bible. In his temptations, what did he say? It is written. It is written. And he'd be dealing with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he'd say, as the Bible teaches, as the Bible teaches, would he not? All the way through, he used this as truth. It was the sword. That's how we use it. I mean, I had a little battle uh, years ago with my heart, and, and all of a sudden, I'm in a hospital room, and a verse comes to mind, created me a clean heart, O Lord, when you are right spirit within me. Bang. Perfect, wasn't it? Clean heart, right spirit. There it was. Words of God come. Have you ever started across that line, and all of a sudden, a scripture will come to you? Didn't even know you knew it? Didn't know exactly where it came from, the quotation, but it's there. See, that is a rhema. It is used personally. It's, it's putting faith into action, reasonable faith in action, and that is that sword that we pull out. And we win. The sword is two-edged. It cuts us and it cuts out. It's offensive and it's defensive as we go through this winning walk. That's salvation. Uh, that's Christ. You say, well, I don't know about the Bible. Walk through something I think is very important. Jesus says the Bible is true, right? Use the Bible as truth. The Bible says Jesus is true. Okay. But that's circular reasoning, is it? We know everything about Jesus from the Bible? Bam. That's right, nobody. Jesus says, I look at the Bible, that's circular reasoning. But it's really not when you add one other element, and that is the Bible itself. This Bible contains 66 books, right, written by 37 authors on two continents, written over a period of 2,000 years, covering a scope of history at least 4,000 years in length. You would expect different understandings, different backgrounds. You'd expect incoherence. You'd expect conflicts. You'd expect all kind of thing with a book put together like that, wouldn't you? Logically, 
But what do you find here? You find progressive revelation. You find God progressively revealing himself to man over a period of time. You find truth all the way through here. You see how prophecy is fulfilled here. It is predicted here. It is fulfilled over here. And you see the evolution. You see the involvement of the progressive knowledge of God to the scripture. And you see the thematic, the theme of it stays absolutely consistent all the way through. And so we hold up and we see historians have not been able to disprove one centimeter of this Bible. Archaeologists, as they dug into the past, they've only found things that affirm the Scripture, not anything that rejects the Scripture. You look at anthropologists, they study all these tribes, all these ancient groups and sects, and they see it reigns true with the language, with the understanding of the Scripture. You say, well, I'm in the Bible. They talk about in cosmology, they talk about a flat earth, and that is not right. We know. Let me tell you something. Look up on the internet, Chicago Council on Inerrancy, and you'll understand what is happening here. Here's a woman who has a PhD in nuclear physics. How does she talk to her four year old child about quantum physics? No, no, about the laws of thermodynamics? No. She talks on the basis of their understanding. So you look at the Bible, it stands up as truth. Therefore, Jesus says the Bible is true. The Bible said Jesus is truth. And the Bible itself stands up as irreversible truth, as inerrant truth. That is not circular reasoning. It is founded there. And then we look at Jesus and see, how did he stack up against truth? He didn't just teach this stuff and these principles. He fleshed it out all the way through his death and through his resurrection. That is the reason we can put on this full armor as we're instructed to and know that we'll be able to do what? We'll be able to stand. Stand firm. I spoke to a group of young parents Wednesday night was a week ago, and I, I thought of this. I hadn't thought of it in years. I went to Mississippi College, a school outside of Jackson, Mississippi, and Clinton. And once we had Abigail Van Buren to speak to us. Now, you know, dear Abby, you know, all the newspapers, dear Abby columns, they'd ask Abby questions, and, and she'd answer them. And after she got through speaking, they asked her, they said, Abby, of all the answers you've given, what answer did you give that got the most response from other writers? She said, that's easy. And she told this story. She said, I got a letter from a woman in Idaho. Had to be Idaho. And she said that, uh, she said, dear Abby, I have always done my housework in the nude. And she said, I do it. Nobody's at home. I pull all the drapes, all the blinds. She said, I just do my housework in the nude. And she said, I just wonder, I told one of my friends about it. She said, that's really weird. There may be something wrong with you. And she said, I don't know. Is that okay? Idaho. Abby answers the letter in sort of an ambiguous kind of way. She said, well, 
you know, you're by yourself doing your housework. That's what you do. I, I don't you know, see any problem. But she said, you might better go get some, you know, psychological counseling of some kind to make sure it's, you know, it's okay. And Abby said as a result of her response, she got letters of strong response on both sides. Some people wrote and said, well, what in the world's the matter? She's by herself. She does her housework. Nobody's there. Blinds are pulled. What's wrong with that? It's crazy for you even to question that. That's no big deal. Others wrote and said, obviously, the woman is psychotic. <laughs> She's out of her mind. She needs to get immediate help. Somebody who would do their housework without any clothes on. And then Abby tells the group there in my school, she said, then I got an avalanche of letters, but said one letter stands out. This woman wrote and says, Dear Abby, in response to the woman who did her housework in the nude, let me tell you what happened to me. She said, a few weeks back, I got up, took a shower, put on an old robe, and said, I started, it was a wash day. She said, I went and got the dirty clothes in my kids' room and all of our dirty clothes and hampers. Said, I took them down in the basement. Said, I, I do all my washing down there. And she said, while I was down there, I, I was drying something and there was steam in the air. And she said, my hair, I just got it fixed. It was straightening and falling. And she said, I want to do something to cover my head. And she said, I reached over there and got my son's football helmet and put it on. <laughs> you know, you ladies understand. It's covered in the... It was, and she said, there I was. And she said, all of a sudden, I put something in the washer, and I saw how dirty my robe was. She said, you're nobody around. I didn't have any clothes on. She said, I just took my robe off and put it in the washer. She said, I was standing there in my football helmet without any clothes on, <laughs> in the basement, nobody there. And she said, all of a sudden, I heard a noise. And she said, I looked over the other side of the basement, and in walks the man to read the gas meter. And she said, I screamed and said, he hollered. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he starts going out the door, but says, as he went out the door, he said, lady, I sure hope your team wins. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If we put on the full armor of the Lord Jesus Christ and take off you and take off me, let me tell you something, that helmet and all the rest of it will be on the winning team for God in the 21st century. Well, before we end today's program, Dr. Young is in the studio with me to answer a question from today's message. Dr. Young, in practical terms, how do we wield the sword of God's Word in a world where people simply refuse to listen to the message of the Bible? Well, we wield God's Word in our own lives, but also you'll find biblical principles are just everywhere. Uh, the first shall be last. The last shall be first. There's a biblical principle, but you don't have to enunciate that principle. You can say to anybody, have you noticed how those who are egotistical and pushing themselves forward end up falling in last place, then you can point out, you know, the Bible teaches that. So many times in business principles, you say, boy, this is a great word from this business guru or this business philosopher or scholar, and you can look back and say, hey, I already discovered that when I read Nehemiah. I always knew the principles of delegation as I studied the life of Moses. 
So we see so many things that we see in the secular world that, you know, that's where it originated. We know the Scripture. They are backed up by the truths of God. Also, we can say anyone who's going to stand up against the immoral, secularism, humanism of our day, they need to be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are, stand, survive individually and their families, and the influence spreads throughout all their friends. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.